Welcome back to If You Build It. This is your home for If You Build It Youth Sports. My name is Gary Dorokritz. I've had the privilege of being involved in high school sports and youth sports for the past 30 years. My mission is to promote and cultivate best practice for a positive and healthy experience for all young athletes. I'd like to welcome my guest this week, Mr. James Patrick, uh, formerly of the New York Rangers. Uh, welcome, James. Welcome to If You Build It. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Really do. So, um, you know, our show here is geared towards uh, youth, youth parents, youth coaches, and and some young players in the sport. So we try to promote like healthy practices, and um, you know, getting to talk with with uh, Tom Laidlaw and getting to see a little bit on his podcast. I was really interested about. Uh, how you came to be get involved in coaching and all that. But let me just tell our guest a little bit about you. Uh, so went to university in North Dakota, uh, drafted a uh, number ninth pick of the first round by the New York Rangers, a 1984 Olympian for, for team Canada participated in 1987 uh, Canada cup. And then you debuted with the New York Rangers in 1984, went on to play with the Rangers for 10 years. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and then you, you played for the Whalers, Calgary, and finished off with Buffalo. Played in uh, amazing uh, 1,280 NHL games, if I have that correct. 639 points. And you played to the age of 42 uh, on a high level. So that certainly speaks to the commitment uh, that you had to staying in shape in sports. So um, amazing career and longevity. So I guess I'm going to start with that because I think the stick to in this part for anybody who does something for that period of time, how did, how did you do that? Well, I mean, I, uh, maybe uh, luck, maybe being in the right place at the right time, maybe uh, finding a good fit, maybe being passionate about it um, and working hard. I would say those probably all went into it. Um, a typical, you know, grew up, uh, Loving hockey, playing hockey, dreamed of playing in the NHL from from a young age. And um, maybe as a young kid growing up, my brother was an elite, elite player at 10, 12, 14, and very much overshadowed me. And so it was very easy for me to be under the radar, uh, didn't get much attention, but but wanted it as bad as anything. And um, maybe when I was kind of 14, 15, came into, you know, kind of, started to become one of the better players. And, um, um, and I will say this, I, I was really fortunate. I had great coaching when I was 16. I went to a well-known school in Canada called Notre Dame that <clears throat> probably 150 NHLers have <clears throat> passed through. And I, I, uh, the coach there was a former Canadian Olympian from the sixties, but, um, way ahead of, you know, other coaching I'd had up till that point, uh, as far as, you know, it was the first time I'd been on a team. We practiced every day. We, we did one-on-ones every day. We did footwork every day. We, we battled physically against each other every day in practice. Like, um, things that I do now with my team, and this was 40 some years ago. Um, and so I just felt I learned so much that year. And then I went to junior and played for Terry Simpson, who was a legend in junior hockey and, was incredibly influential. I went to North Dakota, had a great coach in Gino Gasparini and we won a national championship. So I, I, yeah, I was a good player, but I had great coaching. 
And um, I don't know, maybe, you know, I, I saw it all in the NHL. I saw players way better than me who didn't work hard enough. Um, you know, I saw players who could barely, uh, you know, barely skate or, you know, barely play at that level when, when they first had a sniff at the NHL, but they somehow found a way to stick around and they, and mostly just from hard work. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I mean, it's, there's, I could go on and on a lot of different nuances of my career. And I, I do feel that I, I always tried to work out as hard as I could. I worked as hard as I could in practices and games. Um, and, you know, my mantra to myself, okay, I'm going to go out and work my hardest was what I would say to myself before games. Um, and that probably wasn't always the best thing. There was probably times if I would have been more relaxed and just let it come to me. And, and uh, <clears throat> Bernie Nichols was one of the most laid back, but man, could he keep play under pressure? Um, mm. you know, um, I mean, M Mark Messier was incredibly, the, the biggest thing, you know, played two years and a bit with him, but the biggest thing I thought Mark brought to the team was calmness, like patience and, like, like settle down, relax. Let's not get uptight. Um, Mark was minus five. We lost five or six nothing in New Jersey, and Mark was minus five. It did not phase him. It, I mean, maybe inside. He sure didn't show it. And the next day he was, you know, the next game he was the best player on the ice. If I was minus five, I'm, thankfully I don't think I ever won a game <laughs> in my career. But if I was, I would be, <laughs> you, I mean, you'd be picking me off the walls. I'd be so devastated. Um so I think my approach served me well, but I think it, it wasn't always the best way, but it was me. It was who I was. Um, well, still though, tw like tw looks 21 plus years. I mean, we're not talking about playing, uh, you know, 1200 <laughs> games in a, in a, you know, a men's league or something. This is 1200 NHL games, um, 21 seasons. I mean, the odds of getting to the NHL and then the odds of staying in the NHL and then the odds of playing, for that amount of time, um, not not uh, not very high, right? Um, you did bring up your brother, so it's it's kind of funny. So I grew up a Ranger fan, so I remember. Uh, it, did your brother come from Buffalo? Yeah. Was that okay? So I remember um, when he came there, and I remember it wasn't with a lot of fanfare, and uh, the presentation was that he was going to bring some size and some force and was going to grind and that kind of thing. And, you know, you, you, you totally overshadowed your brother in New York because you had been established there. And, um, I think sometimes people forget like in that, in that time period for a defenseman to have the kind of productivity you had there. Um, also, I mean, you, you, you had some numbers similar to your buddy Gresh there. I know, uh, you know, Gresh had some some seasons where he was in the sixties and 70 points and you had a, a 71 point season as a defenseman at 62, a couple in the high fifties, um, you know, amazing uh, in that time period. And now it's like, I mean, as you know, in your, your coaching world there, it's, it's so different, but um, how did you, where did you develop your, you know, your offensive skill set? and were you always a defenseman? Like how did that all out work for you? Yeah, I, I always was a defenseman. Um, uh, growing up, idolized Bobby Hoare was an offensive defenseman, but um I did, you know, when I got to that 16, 17, 18, felt like uh, I always tried to be a two-way defenseman. Um, my first six years with the Rangers, I had six coaches. Mm. So starting with, you know, Herb and then Craig Patrick took over. And then um, 
Um, Ted Sater came in and then uh, uh, Ted was got fired and uh, Phil. Tom, Webster, Tom Webster, Webster was in there, right? In for a bit and then Michelle Bergeron. So six years, I had those six coaches. Mm. And all, you know, all unique, all different. Every one of them. I mean, Herb was different. Herb was my first coach. And so just getting a feel for what I was. And, but, and, you know, I basically had him for half a year, three quarters of a year. But after that, every coach who came in had me pegged in his mind as what I was. I was an offensive player. And so for the first two, three, four weeks, I didn't kill penalties. And I, you know, and I play more in offensive situations. I play power play. It really bothered me. And, and, you know, and then even with Ted, Ted Sater, you know, I, you know, didn't like me that much at the start, but liked me a lot at the end uh, of, you know, the first year we were together. And, and I think, yes, I understand every player has to earn the trust of the coach. Um, I just felt that happened. I was pegged more of an offensive defense. And I felt I, I mean, I, I could skate. I was a pretty good skater. I could, I, I could really glide good. I mean, I quick feet and I could glide um, good agility. Okay. end to end speed. But um, I, you know, I had good feet and I could skate backwards well. I, those were probably the skills or the strengths of my game. Uh, I think I was a good puck mover. But um, so how did I develop? I mean, probably when I was, you know, 14, 15 is when I started to become one of the better offensive defensemen in the leagues I played in. And, uh, um, you know, I when I went to – I played junior, I um, – <clears throat> played against uh, Chris Chelios was in Moose Jaw. I thought he was the best player in the league. Um, we were kind of the two best players, you know, and the two best teams. And we went head to head all year. Um, a lot of good players, but that year kind of really when I emerged more offensively. So um, I look back now um, and I, now that I know as a coach, like you look at what players skill set are and what their strengths are. And um, you, you always, you work on, you know, what they can do better and you work on, um, but you, you have to also respect the player for what he does well. And I, I didn't get that as a player. I always thought, geez, I need to do this better. And I want to do, you know, I, and, um, and yet at the same time, I think some of the things I did were, were good. They were beneficial for the team. Um, so it, I didn't always have the most, uh, you know, I, again, like I, I talked about the start with those coaches. I didn't feel settled or I didn't feel, uh, I never felt or it took a long time before I felt they were, um, uh, they wanted, you know, they supported me or believed in me. I didn't, it, it took me till I started coaching to realize the coach wants to win and he's He's going to play his best players and he wants his players to play good for him to win, you know, and the team to win. Um, a lot of the times I thought, Oh, geez, the coach doesn't like me. He's not playing me that much. He, you know, and, uh, yeah. So I, Hey, everything I learned on that journey, I, I try to use coaching. I can remember playing bad and the coach walking by me the next day and being, you know, wouldn't look at me or, you know, gave me a frown. And, and I swore I will never do that as a coach. If I, I mean, my, he could be the worst player in the ice, but the next day I'm talking to him and it's a new day and, and uh, I'm going to be there for you. And we're all in this together. Uh, so anyway, some of the thoughts that pop into my head when you, yeah, I want to get into some of that with the coaches, but just going back to your brother for a second, like it's amazing that you didn't wind up a goalie because usually like, because your brother was a first round draft pick too. It's not like he was, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I was trying to think, uh, I guess maybe there's a couple first rounders in this, in the Sutter boys house, but I, I, you know, I'd be pretty hard pressed to try to think of other 
siblings who were first round draft picks in the NHL. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, um, it was a thrill. It was unique and it was really hard playing with my brother. He was my idol growing up. And like I said, he was, when he was 16, um, I mean, it's not my belief, but he was definitely one of the probably top three players in Canada. He, he was, you know, at 16, he was at 15, he played junior A and, and by 16, he was the best player in the league. And then, he, you know, at the end of that year, went to Brandon, started playing major junior, but um, you know, felt like there was such high expectations on him. And he peaked, he literally peaked at 16 and didn't get that much better. And, um, you know, wishes he would have gone to college where there was more development and, a, you know, more time for practice, but he had a real tough time handling the mental side of the game, the, the pressure that goes with the expectations. And um, he was a big, he was a big guy too, right? Like big kid, a big lot kid. of times you're bigger, younger people expect more out of you. No doubt. Right. Like there's just, that's, you talk about stigmas. Like yeah. and, you know, he's, he's a big guy. And in the NHL expecting to fight, um, you know, and it was just uh, like he would fight, but didn't want to be just a fighter. And, um, but so for me, you know, he was drafted first round and then, you know, he got sent back to junior and then he was kind of up and down in the minors his first two years and played in the NHL for probably the next three. And then got traded to the, or on his third year, got traded to the Rangers and his career didn't go the way, you know, he would have hoped or I hoped. And it was hard for me when, you know, he got to the Rangers and now he was kind of a fourth liner. First year, you know, in 85, he played regular. Um, it was a tough year for our team. But the next year when Ted Sater came in, um, you know, after about a month, he started, you know, he's a healthy scratch a lot. And it was devastating for me that, you know, he was healthy scratch and to see where his career was going and, and the hurt that he had and the pain that he was going through. Um, it was really hard because I, I felt what he was going through and I was mad that the way he was being treated and, and um, yeah, it was really hard. It was something that um, I hated. I hated that part of that year. And, um, you know, on Gresh, or Tommy's podcast, we've talked a lot about that coaching staff with Ted Sater and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jack Birch and Reg Higgs. And one thing, I, um, the lack of respect they showed for veteran NHL players was shocking. And I think it did, it did them in. Um, all good people individually, but they had no idea how to treat, um, you know, when you start scratching, I mean, in training camp, they, they virtually got rid of Pierre LaRouche, uh, Nick Fatiu, Glenn Hanlon, and Mike Rogers. Um, and, you know, they said, we don't want you guys on the team anymore. We're going to find you somewhere else to play, go to the minors. But it was done abruptly, and it was done after about a week of camp, and these were icons. Pierre LaRouche scored 49, 48 goals two years before, 32 goals a year before this happened. And this was in training camp. Mike Rogers was a hundred point guy. Nick Fatih was an icon. Um, so then I'm just saying, you know, later that year, um, it's one thing to be a scratch and be sat out, but how it was done um, by the coach staff to my brother um, left a really bad take. Like I, I really disliked these people, but yet I'm, I'm playing for my teammates and I love playing and I want to get better. I mean, that was my focus, but, it, it was really hard. I guess that's how I would explain it. Yeah, so, because, I mean, it's pretty common now in youth sports where, you know, you'll be possibly on a team with one of your siblings, and, and obviously there's going to be a, a different set of expectations sometimes. And and sometimes it's a good thing, and, so, and sometimes 
uh, it doesn't work well for kids where they just, it, it, you know, they don't know how to handle those environments. Um, talk about this a few times. So it's like if you come home, right, and you, uh, I'm going to use an example. So, so you come home and your grandmother's at your grandmother's at your kitchen table says, hey, you know, hey, Sonny, how'd the game go? You know, um, you know, did you win? Uh, no, grandma, we didn't win today. Well, did you score? No, I, I, I didn't score, grandma. Okay, well, you know, next time you'll get them. And there the kids thinking like, well, I didn't score, so I guess I, I didn't play very well, you know what I mean? Like, and kids kind of get that ingrained in their head. Mm-hmm. And I and I think sometimes too with the siblings, regardless of people's intentions, I just can't imagine how many times someone said, well, you know, like your, you know, your brother did it like that, and you know, and not on purpose, but I just wonder when kids get older, they're able to. Uh, present that information better when, when you're young though and you're indirectly or sometimes directly getting compared to another one of the siblings there's really no book for that right there's really no manual to say okay well if someone says this to you 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 do this you so, know it's tough right it, it's it's different i know for me younger if anything it motivated me um because he, he was really good and all the attention was on him at 12 like he was really very good and and you know even you know, I, and my dad didn't say it, but I know like Steven's going to be elite, but you know, you know, my other son, like he loves playing, but he's, you know, he's not as good. I can almost hear something like that being said, but it didn't, uh, it never discouraged me. It, if anything, it made me, you know, I wanted to be good. And then, and yes, we did go to the outdoor rink together most days or played ball hockey, uh, you know, at, between uh, at lunch every day and or right after school every day. And, and I was the goalie a lot of times getting shot on, but um, and, and believe it or not, the house, not right beside us, but two doors down, we lived on a street and I think there was 14 houses on the street. Um, but the house two doors down from us, a boy lived there. His name was Bobby Joyce and Bobby played in the NHL. He played, um, I want to say about, you know, three, 400 games, um, mm-hmm. played in the Olympics, uh, went to North Dakota, played in the Olympics. And then, um, um, you know, the 88 Olympics and then joined Boston and played Boston and Washington, then played in the minors. So he played hockey, but the three of us played ball hockey or played in the outdoor rink a lot. And um, all three of us ended up playing, playing in the NHL. So um, that's, know, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So if, but as far as the sibling, certainly no rivalry, but it, it was um, just, um, it, it pushed me, it pushed me because, I got to skate against him. I got to play against him. And he was so much better than me when I was 10 and 12. But at some point I, I started, it, it made me better. So if you had a, to offer a piece of advice for a younger brother who might be playing on, on a team with an older brother and might be in a situation where just maybe uh, feeling a little dismissed or whatever it is, where it doesn't feel, you know, maybe a feeling of uh, I'm not as good or that kind of, what, what would, what would the piece of advice be? Well, I would, I would try and focus on um, your love of the game, your passion for the game, your compete in the game. Um, think about those things for you, you know, and, and I know, um, especially at that age, everyone loves to get goals and assists, but that doesn't always measure how you played. Um, and I just think uh, if you, you know, if you can, be supportive and, and proud of your older sibling, but also, you know, if you just, 
think of it that you're doing everything you can to hold up your end of the bargain and that's go out and work your hardest and, and love playing and just just know that you know you're going to compete your hardest and play with passion if you keep doing that like good things will happen for you and and you whether you score a goal you might you might save a goal you might move a puck you might beat a guy in your own end to pass a puck you might make a great breakout pass you might deflect the pass that the other team made to, to help out all those little plays add up and it, they might not they 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 a lot of them save goals um a lot of them might not lead right away to a goal but indirectly they might help your team score a goal so there are little little victories you can find all over the ice uh and if, if you kind of look at it that way with with passion, the passion you bring to the game every day, I mean, you can still find lots of ways for it to be rewarding and and, and enjoyable. Yeah, it's good advice. So you mentioned some of these coaches. So when I bring them up, I'm bringing them up in a sense of like, I like to know what you took from the guys I'm going to bring up. Um, and it could be on either side. Like you had mentioned uh, earlier with, with Ted Sater's staff, like you kind of learned something that, you made that you kind of made a mental note that I would never do that, um, and and a lot of your <laughs> a lot of your cohorts on uh, on uh, Mr. Laidlaw's podcast have have expressed similar sentiments. Um, yeah. Very, you know, very very strongly about that. So let's start with Coach Brooks because, um, like like Nikki Fatia, for example, that was that was his favorite coach. Mm -hmm. So if if you know if you had a game show or something, then you and you kind of uh, ask that question, like, who is Nick Fatiu's favorite coach? Like, uh, most people would not guess her book just because of the differences in style, right? Nick was a tough yeah. guy, an enforcer, a bruiser, a great teammate, physical, all that. And her books brought this whole European yeah. skating style into the NHL, all this East West in a traditional North American, North South. And then it, it, here's her book saying to Nick, like, hey, you want to get some extra working at the rank, you know, meet me in the morning. And so Nick loved him for that. Right. Like if you mm -hmm. say a bad word about her books on Nick Fatio, like doc, like get yeah. it, you know, get into an armored tank somewhere or something. Cause <clears throat> Nikki's pro, still in pretty good shape. Right. Yeah. So um, what do you think of when you think of her books? Well, you know, just what you said about Nick, I think Herb coaches back then didn't take individuals under their wing and, and do individual teaching or skill coach. That was seldom. And, and so the, I think that number one was something that Herb did. I loved the way he wanted the game played, um, which was skating game and, and flow. Like he wanted lanes being filled, but with, you know, he wanted interchange. He wanted lanes being filled. He wanted the ice being stretched because back then there was a red line that you couldn't pass, you know, you couldn't pass a two line pass. So he wanted um, layers to the game. One guy, you know, supporting the puck, but, you know, other guys on the other side of the red line stretching the ice out. So for me at that time, it was very eye-opening. It was unique, but he, he loved, he loved flow. He liked skill. He liked, um, he gave you freedom to um, ad lib and, and, uh, you didn't, you know, he was not about every time you get it, get the red line, dump it in. Um, so those, I, I wish I would have had him more. Like I said, I had him for half a year. Um, I, um, and it, you know, my first year, like the end of the, you know, the playoffs in 84, you know, end of the season 84 and the playoffs went real well. The next year was 
um, a tough year for me. It was it was not um, you know it was a struggling rookie year, um, trying to learn the nuances of the game at that at that level of the league. Um, he was incredibly supportive. That's all. That's what I remember uh, in our one-on-one meetings. He, um, you know, he felt that I was too hard on myself and I'd get too down on myself. And he kept. Uh, he reminded me of that. You know, I'm going to be here for a long time and and just keep learning and just keep trying to learn to get better. Um, would would it be would it be correct to say that he was one of the first coaches that allowed? I guess the smaller, faster type of player to kind of flourish in that, in a traditional league that was, yeah, yeah he, I mean, um, think of guys like Pav and those guys, yeah. like how they played in that system. I no, uh, no doubt. Amazing. I think, uh, he certainly didn't, um, he, he didn't, um, lean towards the, the six foot four. Like he wanted skating ability. That's, I think that was number one. Uh, he wanted, you know, the game played with motion and and speed. Um, uh, I mean, he knew Pav, you know, better than anyone because of you know he coached him and coached against him in college for, I think, for three years. And then coached him on the Olympic team and and uh, then coached him for, you know, he had him for five years with the Rangers. Pav, you know, Pav's best years. And uh, what's something you do now? Uh... And are you coaching in the WHL for the Winnipeg Ice? What's something you do now in your coaching practice that you got from Coach Brooks? Well, I mean, I, my very first practice, I hadn't skated for 10 days after the Olympics. I went home and, um, you know, we were trying to work out a contract. I, I skated on the outdoor rink. Like, I had not had a practice with a team from the uh, day the Olympics ended. And um, um, my first practice, he would have a um, – you know, he would, he had it on the schedule. It was uh, a blowout practice. And um, the last, uh, you know, there would be ladders and 45s at the end. Um, and you do, you had to do the three laps in 45 seconds. And there was probably about eight of those. My, that was my very first practice. And, um, and I, the two things I remember from the practice, um, when we were doing the laps, you know, I was good the first lap, second lap. I felt by the third lap, I was half the length of the ice behind the other, the other guys and all the D went together. Um, so I remember that, but I also remember Nick Fatio throwing up in the corner <laughs> and Nicky could skate so fast one lap. And then the second lap, he got a little slower on that third lap. He was fast twitch. He was all speed, but not much endurance. And um, so, I, I mean, I, I think the value that he placed on conditioning is something that I believe, you know, I believe in uh, I'm adamant about, um, I, and then I just think um, Herb was, you know, for me, he respected different players for the different skills they brought. He didn't try and, you know, turn a, a square peg into a round hole. He, I, I think those are, that's my memories of him. And that's, I mean, you can get, you get frustrated with different players if, you know, for maybe if you think you expect more from them or if, you know, how they played or how they've been playing or how they played a certain situation. But you still, I mean, I mean, there's some players on my team. I want them to be a little more physical, but there's some guys I like it's not in their game. They they've never played that way. They're not going to be in. I mean, I want them two hand battle. I want them engaged in the puck, but I'm not, I'm not going to expect that guy to run that guy, the other guy through the wall. That's not, it's not going to happen. So I'm, I have to respect him for what he brings. I think that was the thing. Herb was ahead of his time for that. As far as that goes. 
So you mentioned Ted Seder before. Um, now it's interesting because <laughs> I know he went up to Buffalo and I know uh, a couple guys went up finishing their career in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Dave Maloney finished his career in Buffalo, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately just passed uh, Clark yep. Gillies. And I know, yep. I know he had, he had a, a very strong feelings on the subject as well. So was, was there anything that, that you felt like uh, that Seder brought that you, you, you know, said, okay, that is something I can use, or was it really just mostly just things no, no, learning from? Uh, no, I think he was, I think he had the potential to be a really good coach. He was a good coach in a lot of ways. He just shot himself in the foot. I, I really believe he did. Um, he was young. He was um, uh, full of um, energy. He was full of, um, you know, wanted to, new, you know, new ideas. He was um, very prepared, very prepared uh, as far as what other teams were doing and how we had to play against them. Um, he would, he brought skill development to practice. Like we had stations and, um, some of it looked a little kooky, but some of it was maybe ahead of its time, you know, which stuff that we do now, we do a lot of skill development. We, we do break into stations on the ice. So I just thought all of that was good. I just think how he uh, went about handling, um, veteran NHL players set a bad, just left a bad taste when you got too many unhappy guys and you got more than half that team real unhappy with you. It's hard to win over the room, hard to get when the earn the respect of the room. I think that's um that's probably what what hurt Ted the most. I mean, um obviously Ted's first year, we had we had the great run in 86. He, you know, and he he was a huge part of it. He he knew Philly's game better than anyone. And we Philly won the president's trophy and we beat them, you know, in game five. It was the best of five that first series. But that was, you know, that was us the the I think the ace eight seed in the East beating the number one team overall. Um, so there was some good thing. Like, I, so I'm I I wouldn't I wouldn't badmouth him, but I just know he I know when he went to Buffalo because I'm close with Lindy Ruff. He he took the captaincy off Lindy Ruff, treated you know who was an admired leader amongst those guys and played like it was his ninth year in the fran with the franchise. Um, you know what, you know, supposedly what he, 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 what some of the things he said about Clark Gillies, like I have heard Clark Gillies had him up against the wall was, you know, was going to, you know, so I'm just saying not only did he do it here, he did it there. And yet I think he could have, he could have had a successful career. I really believe that because he, how he came in, he was a college coach and then he was assistant coach in Philadelphia, I think for a year before he got the head, head job with us, but he was, he was amongst a, a group of college coaches who were kind of emerging and, and he was in with that group. And, um, and it just, uh, I mean, it's, it, there, there's a lot that goes into coaching, I guess there's systems, there's a pres you know, your presence as a coach, your motivation, your, um, your respect, your, you know, getting guys to, to want to win and, and then getting guys want to play hard for you. Um, all those things. Is there, there's a quote, that quote that says, uh, you know, in terms of a coach uh, to player relationship that, you know, the players don't care until they know that you do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. on those teaching things. Yeah. Um, and I think the good, I really feel like the good, I used to uh, look at teaching and coaching differently. And then you realize it's really not, it's really, you, you are, you are a teacher 
in in many in many respects. 100%. And I do, you know, I want to get into because you have a, a pretty significant age uh, gap in your on your team. Yeah, you, you've got sixteen year olds there and twenty one year olds there. So I do want to ask you about that. But I just, you know, in terms of that. So I think like that communication piece and learning your players individually, not, and it's, it's certainly not having different rules, but certainly how you talk to people and how you connect with people, I think is, it, it's such an underrated thing. And if you don't have that skill, I don't really think, um, and I, I'm saying this for, for the benefit of our, of our youth coaches out there, I don't really think it necessarily uh, matters how much you know about about a particular sport. I think it's like you got to be able to communicate that knowledge. You have to communicate in a way that that player is going to be receptive, that that they understand that you're doing the best they can for for their benefit as a development, both a player and and a person. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I just I do at my level. Yes, it is. Um, it is so much teaching, and it's so much. Um, being there, getting to know them and being there for them and pushing them and motivating and, and encouraging them on an individual basis and talking, talking on it on an almost daily basis. Um, uh, it's, um, I mean, I do, it's, I've coached junior for five years now. I, I do feel I'm way better at it now, even than I was, I I'm still the same person. I still am passionate. I still want to, push them in practice and I still want to teach them, but, um, they know how much I care for them and they know my, I mean, but I guess the only way they know is just from, you know, me being there for through the ups and downs and me, um, you know, there's times you, they need some tough love, but there's times they need um, a pat in the back. The time they have a real tough time on the ice, but they need to go out the next shift because, you know, they need to face on, you know, face it themselves. And um, all that stuff adds up. It adds up over time. So I just think it's the time you put in. But um, it, like I said, it, there's so, so many parts to it. I do think the teaching part, when you talk about teaching, I think it's the number one thing for young players, for minor minor coaches. I can't, you know, I, I don't think I can give you any more advice than the, to try and teach and to teach during practice and to teach on the bench during games and to, um, you know, in practice, if you have to stop the drill, stop the drill to get the point across and then, you know, move on. Or, or you know, if the drill is just a continuous drill, you're grabbing that kid and say, no, no, this, I want you to drive the net. I don't want you peeling off the side. Middle lane drive, you're going, you know, get your point across and you can get across with passion and encouragement and not, not in a mad mean way. In a, in a, in a, I, I'm, well, I, yeah. you, I know you can do it. I know I'm here for you. That type of way. Um, I, I've said middle lane drive so many times this year. Like my players make fun of me. Like, okay. you know, like, why didn't we do well today? I guess no middle lane drive. <laughs> like, uh, so like, you're hearing it. Like, let, let's see it. Let's see an action. Did, uh, did you play for Roger Nielsen? I did. Yes. Um, and what was your impressions of, of uh, coach Nielsen? My favorite coach. Um, my favorite coach at the time. So when I had Roger, um, when he came along again, I just felt we had had a lot of um, turmoil. We had a lot of coaches, you know, it, 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 we had gone from Ted Sater to Tommy Webster to Michelle Bergeron. And, you know, we had those and Phil coaching in between there. So, you know, four coaches basically over a three. I came from, 
Uh, Quebec, right? We got trade. You know, he, we actually traded for him. We traded, you know, a high pick to, for him to come here, and um, that was Michelle Bergeron. Super passionate. I mean, that's you know, he was fiery, but he was passionate. That that one thing he you know Michelle brought. Um, it wasn't. It just was not a match made in having him and him and Phil both big egos and both uh, um, somewhat fiery, fiery temp temperatures on both of them. And ultimately, um, like it was shocking how it ended. I mean, shocking when Michelle got fired the day, you know, the day of the last game of the year or the last weekend of the year, the morning. Uh, but um, so then when we, I just when Roger came in he settled the franchise down. He brought stability there. He brought, uh, it was a, I mean, this was a coach who taught us like, this is how we play in our D zone. This is what we do in the neutral zone. This is what we do off of face off wins. And this is what we do if we lose the face. Like we, we never had any of those details, nothing like that. Um, you know, in the previous, you know, four years about, I mean, and NHL players need to be taught and they need to all be on the same, same wavelength. And, so, again, Roger comes in teaching. Uh, I'm thinking when we, I heard we hired Roger Nelson, I thought we hired a 70-year-old coach who's going to come in with gray hair. And that very first day our practice rink was at Playland, Brian Leach and I walked in uh, about a week before training camp. We were going to skate at the arena. And uh, Brian Leach had a motorcycle. He was par parked at my house in Armand because he lived in the city. <laughs> and so he had driven the motorcycle up to put it in kind of a store it there once hockey started and we when then we were going to skate and we drive to our practice rink we walk in the you know put our bags and then we walked into the video room the not the video room it was like the big kind of a study room with chairs and the big screen tv that we we're always playing mtv in the fridge and but that's where we also watch video and roger was standing there wearing um flip-flops like the mo like snow or um surfboard shorts that are ripped to tatters and like an old uh an old t-shirt of a rock band from the 60s and um like it was the farthest impression that i and you know and like you know he was like a kid in a candy store so are so excited to be coaching us and so excited to be you know this was his new home like the, the rink was his home um and and roger was there and his dog I was going to ask you about the dogs. The dogs were everywhere. Well, the, and his dog, Mike. Um, Mike was there, and Mike had the, one of those collars around his neck because he had stitches from some mishap he had gotten into. That was my first impression of Roger Nelson. Like, I'd never seen a coach dressed like that. And then, Anyways, his video was incredible. It was great teaching. It wasn't long. It was, uh, you know, the, next, the day after a game, like, he would show clips of uh, – mostly positive like the system clips and then he'd show some some highlights and then on the day of a game he would show you know the other team's power pk or power play and what we're going to do against it or a little pre-scout um super organized um also like you know he liked physical hockey he liked you know he liked tough players he liked chris king and joey kosher and uh, ty domi and uh, uh chris nyland like you know, he knew, understood in the playoffs how important, no, and during the regular season, how important those guys were. Um, and he made them an important part of the team. Um, I, I mean, I can't say enough about him. Like, and I had some ups and downs with them. Like, you know, I had uh, some real good first couple of years with them. I had a bad year, maybe my third year. And, you know, he was unhappy with me. And um, 
um, didn't play me as much to start of the next year. And then I kind of worked my way in, but, um, but overall, I'm just, I can't say enough about, um, a unique person. He was legendary around the league, you know, um, well, like, well, liked. um, he, he, he paved the way for coaching. I think the way the game is coached today started with Roger Nelson and a lot of how he broke down his games, pre-scouted, um, you know, pre-scouted every player, pre-scouted, uh, opposing teams, you know, and he played the trap. He was one of the innovators of the trap, but I mean, he uh, taught it and he exploited it. And, but then yet when you had a good, good team, he wanted us playing offense. And so there's a lot of good things about, well, I can't say enough about Roger. At the end, it didn't work for him in New York. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is the main reason? Um, you know, I think, um, I think what, ultimately happened um you know having mess there mess's first year there he won the mvp and we won the president's trophy but we ended up going on strike and you know ended up losing to pittsburgh on what could have been you know could have been and i think um uh mess felt roger was too defensive um played a little too too much of a defensive system and obviously mess was very powerful um you know superstar and so i think uh you know, that next year, I don't know how long Roger maybe lasted half a year until he got fired, but it, we had a terrible start that, you know, we had very high expectations and a terrible start of the year playing catch up behind the eight ball, some unhappy players and, and mess wasn't happy. And, um, I think he felt Roger matched lines too much and played a little too defensive. Uh, that's my gut feeling. I don't know for sure. Um, you know, I've, you know, you hear a little tidbits here and there. I did at the time, but, um, um, you know, I think uh, Neil Neil decided, you know, that um, it wasn't going to it wasn't going to work out. Um, and I think it, you know, it did for the first year, and uh, the second year just uh, didn't go that way. So Roger Nielsen used to have his uh, coaching camp out there at University of Ontario in Windsor, Windsor University of Windsor. Windsor, Windsor that's it. So we, uh, somebody's uh, and myself, we'd fly out to uh, Detroit and we'd just, you know, drive in and stuff like that. Yeah. So the first year we went, they would always have the hospitality hours at night and stuff like that. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, they got, this was the thing. So I know uh, I had mentioned, uh, well, I don't think I did tonight, but I know your dad played professional football. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've coached high school football and high school hockey and all that. I go to a, a, a football clinic, you know, the guy does his thing uh, and then the coach leaves, you know what I mean? The next guy comes in to the hockey clinic, the guys would do their stuff and then they sat in the audience, they would yeah. stay. So, it, you know, but you would get the one version obviously in the clinic, but then at the hospitality hour. So the first thing, you know, uh, coach Nielsen's over there and I asked him about a face off and, um, he just, you know, like a typical, like you're saying, he's just drawing out of napkins and stuff like that and about different things. And all my buddies are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, he, he's drawing on a napkin. And I asked him about a face-off, you know, that kind of thing. So that was my first experience with him. Then a couple of years later, somebody sent me a postcard. I don't know if I don't know if he made the postcard, but if he didn't, he was the uh, the motivation behind the postcard. And it was a dog. Um, in front of a net with a stick and the caption read even a dog knows to, to cover the front of the net. Um, well, Roger, Roger didn't like players chasing behind the net. <laughs> if, if the other team had full possession <laughs> and 
he brought Mike out on the ice. And so Roger stood behind the ice, behind the net with the puck and got Mike to stand in front. And then he said, okay, come get me, Mike. And so he went, Roger started moving one way and Mike was going to go around the net that way. But then Mike stopped and went to this way, you know, in front of the net. And then Roger started to go the other way, you know, and Mike didn't go behind the net. He just stepped kept trying to cut him off in front of that. And Roger said, see, even my dog can do it. And I'll tell you one other incredible story. Um, I, Roger had a, um, he had um, a regular practice. He had an optional practice or he had ice available. And it was, um, I, you know, I think the first year that we had him and, um, you know, so we weren't sure, you know, we weren't sure of his system, but, um, regular practice, normal practice. So an optional practice, you don't have to go on if you don't, but the coaches will run drills and then ice available, you go do whatever you want. Well, we had an optional practice and we didn't know, you know, and so we decided um, Chris King and um, Lindy Ruff put on the goalie equipment and uh, Beezer and uh, Richter play, put out equipment on. So, you know, we all go get on the ice and, you know, we're going to have a little fun game and, and Lindy's like 6'3", and Chris King's like 6'2". And, uh, you know, Beezer and Mike Richter are 5'9". Maybe, right? Yeah, maybe. So, you know, we're all fooling around, taking shots, taking headshots on them. You know, and, and they, like, you know, they're all over the place. Well, all of a sudden, Roger steps on the ice, skates to center ice, blows the whistle, and then calls out some, you know, the drill, shooting drill we're going to do. And, and like, so we all start doing, you know, his, you know, the horseshoe or whatever we're doing. And we actually do it for about 10 minutes. And it, it took him 10 minutes to realize it wasn't Mike and, and John <laughs> and that. And then he blew the whistle and he called us in. And it was a, like, as mad as he would get, he would go for crap's sake. <laughs> this is an optional practice. This is not ice available. Who's in, who, who's wearing, who's wearing that the goalie equipment? And I remember Kinger goes, Roger, it's me, it's Kinger. <laughs> and he goes, I thought you were Beezer. He goes, you guys screwed up my whole day. And then he skated off the ice. <laughs> but it was, we were dying laughing. That concludes part one with New York Rangers great James Patrick. Part two, coming up, stay tuned. <laughs>